Hey! Hey! Welcome back and thanks for listening to Conjecture and Lecture. This episode is deeper down the rabbit hole than the boys have ever gone before. Enjoy! So I hope everybody's had a absolutely wonderful January. The month has passed and it is February 1st. Riley and I went deep on this episode. This was one of those that we have kind of been teasing since the beginning of Conjecture and Lecture back in 2020. We've wanted to talk about the CIA and JFK and MKUltra and a bunch of different things. And this episode happened to be solely focused on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. That said, Riley and I do the best that we can to stay on task. We begin the episode by kind of bringing you guys up to speed with what the official narrative was on that day. November 22nd, 1963, and then we begin to poke holes in the official narrative. Some might call it a conspiracy theory, others might call them conspiracy facts. Either way you look at it, we find that it's important to ask the questions that surround the assassination, like who really killed him, in what manner did he really die, is what the American public told true, uh, and I think that by asking these questions, it leads to other questions about what we've been told by the U.S. government or really by any governments, any mainstream media organizations, may they be, you know, TV news stations, newspapers, journals, any outlets. I think it's important to always pause and ask the questions, okay, are these really the facts? And if not, how can we get to the bottom of them? So that said, we did the best that we could to unpack this day. We really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. We researched so much. It was actually kind of incredible uh, how much I learned, and I'm still a little bit embarrassed that I didn't know more about this topic prior to this episode. So all that said, we really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you do, make sure you let us know in the comments. Like, share, subscribe. Also, please share with friends, share with family, and make sure you guys get in on that Discord. We always try to post the links um, pretty much on all social media services. That way you guys can interact with us and play around in there. So anyways, enjoy the episode, and until next Cool. Yo, Riley, what up? Welcome back. How are you? What's up, Ed? Hey, hey, how is everybody? Oh, Welcome not back. too bad. Thanks, guys, for coming back to listen to another episode of Conjecture and Lecture. Uh, Riley and I are super excited for this episode. We have, I, I can only speak on myself, but I know I have done more research on this episode than I think I have for most of the episodes we've ever done. Um, yeah, yeah. Like when, and we used to always talk about how we get that feeling of like getting really lost in the weeds or down the rabbit hole about something and like, I've been missing that feeling like this wasn't always like it felt great while I was going down the rabbit hole for sure. But like it, I haven't been this obsessed with something in a very long time. Right. I'm with you. It's been a while since I really, really researched something and tried to figure out what happened. I also got more into it because I was feeling ashamed of myself for not knowing some of these things or not having asked some of these questions before. Um, and mm -hmm. so that almost caused me to dig deeper. I felt like I owed it to myself, to you and to the listeners um, that we do our due diligence, as we like to say. So yes, folks, for sure. we got the JFK assassination special. We are going to yeah. dig deep. We're going to pull on all the strings, see what we can't find talk a lot about the intelligence agency of the CIA, get into maybe the FBI, um, but more importantly, just unpack what happened on that day. So Yeah, yeah. And it, it will get tangential, but it, it all is relative to what's going on. Like everything is going to 
tie up and if it doesn't make anybody think deeper about the assassination it's going to bring to light something else that you know either one of us i know feel needs to be said so yeah you know there's a lot of things in this podcast like you mentioned that will get tangential but i think they're important tangents yeah i think it's important for anybody who's going to listen to this who hasn't really who doesn't know much about jfk who hasn't asked many questions about the story of how or why he was assassinated. Um, I encourage you after this episode to look into it and do some research yourself for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hate being that guy where I'm like, look it up, look it up. But like legitimately, like there are real publications and there is a reason 70% of Americans think there's some shady shit going on with this whole thing. That's, right. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Dude, that's an incredible segue, actually. So, uh, like I said, 70% of Americans think that there is something wrong with what we were told. Um, so I think we owe it to everybody just to kind of start from the beginning, uh, you know, on that day, talk about what happened, what the official sort of narrative was or what the what the government wanted us to think the narrative was, and then start to really pull on some of those other story strings or even see if the story that they gave us holds up. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, I have a long, long primer on the whole thing not to be condescending, not to be uh, like just aggressive with this information. Like if anybody wants to skip it, please, by all means, please go ahead and do it. I just want to do a quick refresher on it because I didn't want anybody to like feel like, oh, this is some shit I have to carry around at the forefront of my brain, because of course not. Um, but with all that being said, here we go. Take it away. So, uh, the Warren Commission final release, this is what we got. On November 22nd, 1963, 35th President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was fatally shot in Dallas, Texas at Dealey Plaza. He was seated in the back of a Lincoln Continental with his wife, Jackie, while Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife, Nellie, were in the row ahead. Just minutes before the assassination, Nellie had turned to JFK and said, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you, to which he replied, no, you certainly can't. And unfortunately, those words would be his last. Seventy minutes later, Dallas police would arrest Lee Harvey Oswald, who was said to have fired three shots at the president from a sixth-story window in the Texas School Book Repository. Kennedy had been rushed to Parkland Memorial Hospital and was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. They just said, you know what, his, his heart stopped beating, we're pronouncing him dead. That was roughly an hour after the shots. Dallas coroner... Earl Rose was preparing to perform an autopsy as he was legally obligated to do so until at that time, Secret Service agents demanded for him to stop, rushed in, told him he could not operate, even though he was legally obligated to do so. They stopped him. And that is when uh, an hour later, Kennedy's body was loaded onto Air Force One for the Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. So we're going from a civilian hospital all the way across the country uh, to a naval hospital. Aboard that same plane, immediately before takeoff, Lyndon Baines Johnson would take the oath of office at 2.38 p.m. Less than 48 hours later, Lee Harvey Oswald would be murdered by nightclub owner Jack Ruby while being escorted by two detectives through the basement at the Dallas police headquarters. 
With all of that, no investigation had been launched for either murder until LBJ would sign an executive order a week later on November 29th. This order would establish the Warren Commission, which would be the team of government officials responsible for investigating the events before, on, and immediately after November 22nd, 1963. Manned by Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren and six other members, an 888-page report would be presented to President Johnson and made public three days later. So it took them nine months to get this all together, they would finally get that report. So we'll, we'll refer to that as the Warren report or just the report. Um, but that's where the Warren Commission comes in. So that report would specifically state that Kennedy was assassinated by Oswald alone. It also states that he was first struck by a bullet that entered the back of his neck and exited through the lower portion of his throat, causing a wound that was, quote, not necessarily lethal. The president was then struck by a second bullet, which entered the right rear portion of his head, causing a massive fatal wound. There was another shot fired that missed entirely, and as only one bullet was ever actually found, which was on JFK's gurney upon entering Parkland Memorial Hospital, the Warren report also confirmed, confirmed excuse me, Arlen Specter's widely controversial single bullet theory slash magic bullet theory, which suggests the bullet that passed through Kennedy's neck then entered Connolly's armpit, shattered his rib, exited his chest, ricocheted off his wrist, and finally embedded while fragmented in his leg. So that being said, at the time, about 50% of Americans believed this report, believed the Warren report front to back. That number has since fallen as low as 11%. There is more to the story, and that's why we're talking about it. Wow, that was an incredible introduction. I couldn't have done I couldn't have done better. So hats off to you, dude. Um, Thank you. So, like you said, that was the Warren Commission, and that what you basically had stated was their findings. And there have been so many holes poked in their findings that not only do so few people believe in it, but now people ask the questions. Okay, well, what really happened? You know, and there's yeah, exactly there's been all these leaks, lots of recent leaks, and um, you know, I still. It still blows my mind how much redactions there still are in the leaks. And so many people that are involved are dead and they're still keeping things secret. Well, and so many people have come forward after other people have died. And shouldn't that be indicative of like something is not being told? Like if if people are waiting for other people, people that, you know, more than likely are in some position of power, if they're waiting for those people to die and then all of a sudden coming forward with information. I mean, that's that's just. That seems fishy. Right. right from the very beginning right there. And, you know, when these first leaks started coming out, I was I was thinking, oh, you know, more JFK stuff. Interesting. I don't really know much about it. Uh, and then, you know, Oliver Stone was on the, the Joe Rogan podcast and he had kind of talked about his documentary, uh, the JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. So I had mm -hmm. sat down and watched that. And they, again, kind of like we'll do, they go through all these different theories uh, about what maybe happened 
but all of them do not support the Warren Commission's initial report that Lee Harvey Oswald was acting alone, that there was just one bullet that struck everybody, um, that he, you know, his head went forward, not backward. The whole fact that you know his body was was moved. Where'd that bullet come from on the gurney? That's, you know, a question. Um, there's just, mm-hmm. there's so many things. So, um, you know, I, I want to first start by saying that a lot of people, they look at this as a conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I mean, I guess it is. I didn't really look at, you know, the definition of a conspiracy theory, but I know that the nature of a conspiracy basically is like something's not right. And people can tell, you know, hey, something's a little bit off. Our brains need closure. So we come up with some alternate narrative that maybe fits, you know, maybe what our gut's telling us or something like that. Um, And there's just the right enough coincidences or just the right enough facts, right? They were like, okay, there's got to be something here. And that's for other, maybe like, you know, the moon landing or the 9-11 stuff or, you know, you hear other conspiracy theories. But this one in particular, I almost don't like calling it a conspiracy I don't either, because why would we be denied full access to the information, which was supposed to be 2020, and now it's 2029, and then it's pushed back further and further and further, whereas all this other stuff, we haven't been told that the information is being locked away, so what do we know about it? Like, it doesn't really make any difference, you know? But, like, when we've been specifically told that we haven't been given the full story, and then we get all these people coming out saying stuff like they were involved. I mean, E. Howard Hunt was on his deathbed, E. Howard Hunt being a CIA agent at the time, who said he was there, and he knows that David Morales fired a shot at the president. Right. No, I heard that actually this afternoon uh, in that YouTube video you had sent me. And in fact, we should maybe post some of those links in the description uh, of our podcast so people can see where we got some of our information from. But that last video you sent me, that was like 24 minutes where they really unpack the CIA. Holy smokes. Um, So anyways, uh, we'll start with the the first, I guess, hole in the theory. And that's that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Um, So what... You know, if we we're going to explain to some people why that's not the case, where would we start? I think, honestly, just diving into who Oswald was as a person, I think his background really matters because people have said that he just reeked of intelligence. He was like an intelligence project i mean the guy was like made in a lab i swear to god i don't literally mean that but like if anybody could make like a a perfect intelligence mole in a lab this dude would fit the bill perfectly right so let's actually i have some stuff written down about him so lee harvey oswald uh was a marine and he basically served uh he served in world war ii um and then he started working with intelligence Towards the end of that, he got uh, basically um, placed on a base in Japan, sort of a secret base in Japan. Uh, they were based; they were teaching him Russian, and from my understanding, intelligence was had their fingers in him like white on rice. Like he was basically yes. working for them. Um, yes. So, go for it. He he was actually stationed. I believe it's, it's Atsuki. I cannot remember specifically what it is, but that same base is the 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 base in which. Well, he was there working as a uh, aviation electronics operator in the Marine Corps. 
That same base is where the U-2 spy planes were being tested. The same U-2 spy, spy planes that were found over Cuba. The same U-2 spy plane that Gary Powers was in when he crashed in the Soviet Union. Like, the, all of these things are, you know, they're just way too coincidental to, to not be connected right and that's that goes back to the nature of the conspiracy thing where some people you know they'll look at it and be like like you just said there's no way this is coincidence it just can't be and maybe yeah. you know for some other conspiracy theories you can poke holes in it but this is the one where i'm just like holy smokes and so you mentioned you know lee harvey oswald reeks of intelligence and um he's he uh, learns russian he's placed in russia for a time who knows what he did over there um and then basically at some point he's sent back to the united states um and actually from my understanding he went back to the united states after uh japan and then defected to russia is that yes. right yes so but it was like a fake he, defection yeah he goes back he goes quotes <laughs> right exactly he goes to the united states temporarily then he goes over to the soviet union when he gets to the soviet union he is trying to tell uh the i mean there weren't customs officials but they were soviet officials he tries to tell them, look, I, I, I want to join the Soviet Union. I renounce my U.S. citizenship. And they said no. Like they were like, no, we don't want you here. Go back. Somehow, somehow this guy ends up uh, living and working in the Soviet Union. Uh, he barely knew Russian. He took all sorts of classes, never was able to uh, pass any like fluency tests and then he is working in a factory and he gets assigned a basically like a language coach and that exact same guy would be later brought back working in the biggest defense company uh that made helicopters that vietnam was just the main source of profit for for this specific helicopter company so that exact same guy tended to be the one who taught oswald rush russian in the soviet union it just that doesn't make any sense and then not and only has, that go for it by the time he gets back to the united states he's the only person in american history who is not interrogated by the cia after coming back from the soviet union so there's a couple of things to mention too. So he defects, like you said, he goes, uh, he, the Russian customs won't let him in. Somehow he gets in, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask, well, what's his reason for defection, right? What's his loss of cause or, or you know, what's his loss of heart with the United States? You know, it really seems like he was placed there. And then yes. what's he doing while he's there? Maybe just observing, just gathering intelligence, whatever, who knows who or where his handlers are. Right. Um, and then he comes back to the United States. And when yeah. he comes back to the United States, like you said, not only is he not interrogated or anything like that, but why would we let somebody who defects come back to begin with? That's one thing I don't understand. Like, you know, this outside of the CIA not investigating him, if you choose to give up your U.S. citizenship, you're like, I'm done with the woods, I'm leaving. Do we just grant it back? I don't know I how that works. Don't believe, 
Well, he was never actually allowed to give up his citizenship. And that's another thing that's a little bit fishy because there's no actual record of him renouncing his citizenship, just that he requested it. Uh, and still, that like just doesn't make any sense to me because he came back to the United States. And then when he was in the United States, it was reported that he wanted to go either back to the Soviet Union or to Cuba, uh, which, again, is just strange. Yeah, why, why would he want to go to Cuba? And all of the Cuba stuff to come is, is also interesting and, and interesting to, you know, I guess, pull on that thread. But I also wonder, you know, how, how did they think people wouldn't ask questions about Lee Harvey Oswald? When I say they, I mean the people that came up with the Warren Commission report and the official narrative did they think that the average Joes and Janes just wouldn't question, like, who is this Lee Harvey Oswald guy? I mean, we question who is every murderer that goes into superstores and movie theaters and schools, and I'm sorry that it happens, but we always ask, who is this guy? What's his background? Yeah. What's his motivation? Definitely. Right? Yeah. Obviously, people were going to ask that about Lee Harvey Oswald. So when you yeah. say this guy acted alone, when you say he, you know, basically he's just the, the lone shooter up in this bookstore. Okay. Everybody is going to be like, seriously? Right? Yeah. We're going mean, to look into him. Yes, exactly. So, and they crafted this whole persona for him. I mean, they, they wrote this guy's own history. He gets back into the United States. He goes down to New Orleans. He gets a job in, uh, he was working as a machinist. But the the president of the company for which he was working said that he spent most of his time across the street in an office where there was a lawyer that was working who was a former CIA agent. And there was a known FBI satellite location in that exact same building. And Oswald spent most of his time there. It right. just doesn't make any sense. And at that point, the lines between the FBI and the CIA were so blurry and it just seemed like – all the guys on top were all in cahoots with each other and they had their own sort of secrets and, and leagues that they aren't even letting the executive branch and Congress know. Like they're just, they have their own sort of operations and, you know, they have it under the guise of, well, we're gathering intelligence. Well, things have to stay confidential. But like you mentioned, I mean, the, so to start, Lee Harvey Oswald is definitely not working alone and without a doubt has connections to intelligence. So we can, you know, check that off. Uh, as far as the magic bullet, actually, do you have anything else about Lee Harvey Oswald before we go on the magic bullet chunk? I think um, just a couple things that are worth again, mentioning. Sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure, yeah. A couple things that are worth mentioning. When he was in Japan, uh, he was actually demoted because his rifle skills were so poor. Uh, I think he went from sharpshooter to marksman in his last year in the Marine Corps. Uh, he also gets back to the United States. He buys a rifle, the, the Monlaker Carcano rifle, which is an incredibly inaccurate rifle. Uh, and he buys it for a left for, for a, excuse me, for a right-handed shooter. Whereas the one recovered was a left-handed weapon. Um, and the pictures just don't make any sense. Even Oswald himself said that he never took those photos. His wife said he never took those photos. His brother said he never took those photos. Right. And that's the beginning of, you know, you get 
those early World War II photos that are doctored up where you have people, you know, being edited out of photos. There's that famous one with like Hitler and Stalin or something. I forget exactly what photo it is. I just remember learning about it. But, you know, this is uh, maybe a decade past that time. And so, you know, they're, they're starting to manufacture evidence, like evidence that's possibly believable. Um, and so, you know, now that you're mentioning the gun, we can also talk about the fact that on that gun, no reliable fingerprints were found, almost as if None. that gun was just there, right? Yes, um, yes. Somebody just placed it there. And <laughs> this is kind of a little bit of a detour. As I said, it's going to be tangential, but this actually matters. On the day when the um, assassination happened, the cops on the scene ran towards the grassy knoll as if that's where they heard the shots come from. And some of these cops, you can imagine, are military veterans, right? They're trained to react. They're trained to understand where gunfire is coming from. They didn't go. The majority of them did not go towards where the bookstore was. They went towards the field. And his head went backwards. It was not shot from the front. And we can get into the brains and stuff in a second. But uh, with sticking to the rifle, just because like, you know, it kind of goes back to the, that it was placed there. The uh, yeah, no, no fingerprints. You already mentioned the left handed uh, aspect of the gun. And it's a shitty rifle. Um, yeah. The ballistics experts who shot it after when they recovered it also confirmed that it was inaccurate. Horribly inaccurate. There was a reason the Manlicher Carcano rifle was not something that was regularly used anywhere. It was, I believe, an originally an Italian made, and then it got bought out by a German company, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but completely inaccurate, just unreliable. Yeah, there's a reason you've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you've got the you've got the issue with the. Uh, the photos of Oswald holding the rifle and you can see the the strap at the bottom the uh on the back of the stock the strap is attached to the very bottom of the stock and then in the photos that were recovered or the photos of the rifle recovered the the strap is all of a sudden on the side of the stock that just doesn't really make any sense nobody does that especially with a a wooden stock back in the day nobody's gonna like oh i'm gonna drill a new hole in my rifle because i don't like where the the strap is sitting no way you just get doesn't make any sense no it just it just doesn't make any sense so talking about guns it's actually a good time to uh move to the magic bullet theory, right? And so going back to what the Warren Commission initially had said is that, like you mentioned at the very beginning, one bullet went through his back, exited through his neck, went into the governor, somehow bounced off his knee or something and shattered. So one of the interesting things we can ask is when he gets back to the hospital, if the bullet exited his body, why was it found on the gurney that he was laying on? Not only found in the gurney, but it was in perfect shape. Right. Like it had perfect it gone shape. through two bodies. Bullets exactly. that even hit pop cans look a little dinged up. Like yes. bullets that, you know, hit little targets in your backyard get a little crunched up. I have I can't say I've seen a bullet that has gone through a person, but I've you know, I've seen pictures and they get smashed. Yes. Yeah. Well, and to go through somebody's rib and to hit their wrist, like if you if you hit your wrist, that's a seriously hard bone and like it's dense. I I just don't understand how it could be just in pristine condition. Right. 
So the bullet, just, like the rifle, somebody freaking put it there. I don't know. It's just a weird. It's a weird thing. Um, also, they say that the bullet entered the back of his head, and I was watching this uh, the Oliver Stone documentary with my wife, where I could see you know the the video color footage, and it's funny because I remember the first time we talked about this, I had asked you like is there solid video? And I kind of knew there was, but they play that video in like slow motion, high definition. And it's, it's hard to watch listeners. I'm telling you, it's, it makes you feel sick, but you see his head without a doubt, get shot backwards. And you see his brains go out the back of his head. There is no forward motion. So the fact that anybody's claiming that a bullet went through the back of his head or even his neck and he went forward, that it's just you can't watch that video and say, oh, yeah, he went back or he went backwards. Yeah, exactly. Or, sorry, the, the, sorry, you can't watch that video and say he went forward. Excuse me. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, and people who have seen the video, the Abraham Zapruder film, it was released in 1968. It was a lot of people think it was live. It was not live. This was released later. Um, Is that the film that they play in that documentary? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. So it's sickening to watch. But, you know, everybody talks about how Jackie Kennedy climbs onto the back of the car and that she is, I, I hate to be like morbid and disgusting, but she's reaching for his brain. Yeah. Uh, and how is a brain going to exit through the back of somebody's skull if it's hit in the back? <laughs> like, right, it the, would the exit. Bullet hole, yeah, the, the impact hole is significantly smaller than the exit wound. Always. And this wasn't a hollow point. This wasn't a hollow point, so it's not like it would have just completely blown it apart. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't make any sense. Yep, and the original autopsy makes it clear that it entered the front of his skull. And so the magic bullets theory is just absolute dog shit. And when you watch people try to justify it, and, you know, you have these guys with their instruments doing all these tests back in the 60s trying to basically say, hey, this this could happen. You could have one bullet go through two people and fatally wound. So, I mean, no, no, it just doesn't and hold the fact- water. And it's been perpetuated for so long. I just, I legitimately challenge anybody to just look at a picture of the bullet covered and just try to imagine how that passed through two bodies and it's in pristine condition. Exactly. So the story from, you know, bring people back up to speed is that Lee Harvey Oswald was in the top of this bookstore, fired three shots, correct? Hit two, missed one. Correct. Right. And then he walks yes. down the bookstore, is caught by police and, you know, gets carted off. Um, but that would have been, you know, from, again, behind where the president was. So that's why people think that there were multiple shooters involved. I can say how many. I saw one video that said that there was up to eight. I don't know. I'd never heard that before. But there was definitely multiple people there. Because, yeah. again, the cops went towards the grass. They didn't go towards the building. His body went backwards. It did not go forward. And other people that were there said there were more than three shots fired. Yes. Yeah. People heard four shots. There there are more eyewitness accounts that say people heard four shots than uh, the accepted three. There was a poll out of uh, 216 witnesses, I believe, that were there. 
Um, there's a foundation online. I need to get the book that I have, but uh, it's in the other room, whatever. Uh, there were 52 people out of these 216 that were polled. 70 weren't asked this question of where did the shots come from, but 52 of them said that uh, it came from the knoll. 48 of them said it came from the book repository. So it just, I mean, and yeah, he drove, it's a small margin. Right. He drove through an area that was perfect for a crossfire. This thing had been planned and set up. His route was known. Um, everything about it just, it just doesn't add up. Uh, and I want to go no. another, the next thing, now that we've kind of talked about the fact that there definitely had to have been multiple shooters, so he wasn't working alone. There definitely wasn't a magic bullet. There just wasn't. I'm sorry. And then uh, let's go on to the autopsies in the car, right? So they, uh, FBI, Secret Service, they take over the car. And from my understanding, wipe it clean before investigating like what the yep. fuck wouldn't you want to actually dig into hey let's see let's 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 preserve the car as evidence and we can kind of tear this thing apart and really understand what the fuck just happened oh no we're just going to sanitize the car what yeah yeah and and just washed it off with water Water went directly on the blood stain that is contaminating a crime scene right there. All of these guys are trained. They are trained uh, criminal justice officials, you know, and they, they how can you do that? How can you contaminate a scene right away? The amount of people that they had to have had plucked and pulled to, to like, you guys are the ones that are going to go in and clean this up and you're not going to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just that's bizarre. That's absolutely bizarre to me. And then, again, you mentioned in the beginning, just bring people up to speed here, that his body was initially taken to a hospital in Texas. There, the, the original autopsy was told, hey, cut it out. You're not supposed to do this. We're going to actually basically, I don't know if it was Secret Service, FBI, CIA, somebody came in and said, we're taking it from here. Yep. Secret Service told Earl Rose that that uh, county coroner that he could not do any more. And then an hour later, the body was gone. And I mean, things were completely changed from that point forward, because I think that's another thing we need to get into is the official autopsy was performed by two naval doctors who had never performed one previously to my knowledge that's mm -hmm. that's what i found that they had never actually performed a, a gunshot wound like this and this was in an area metropolitan area especially in dc where they have plenty of people that probably some of the best autopsy forensic folks if not in the world without a doubt in the united states concentrated within you know at least a two-hour flight to dc if not in the local area and they're having these Guys come in from the, again, hand-plucked, hand-picked come in and, and run this. So the original autopsy, um, the photographs are not, I guess, from my understanding, that they took photographs when he got to the hospital. And then the photographs that were in the autopsy later, people had said that is not what he looked like. Like he yeah. has been doctored up. He has been sutured up going back to the assassination as, you know, the bullet went through the front of his head and entered the back and brains came out the back. Um, he would have lost a solid amount of brain material. And somehow, even though his brain was blown out, there's a different brain 
that people had seen. Or I don't know if they like transplanted it or what, but there was more mass than there should have been. Yeah, there was a complete human brain that was on the uh, autopsy table. Um, the other thing that they had was it reported, were they saying it was his? Like, did they have the man's skull just off and they're like, "This they, is his I brain." Mean, yeah, that's what they claim. And then we've got like this preserved piece of brain or something. It, it, I can't remember exactly what they said it was. But they had reported that his brain weighed 30% more than the average male's brain. Um, now, that doesn't make any sense. And why it doesn't make any sense is specifically dependent on the fact that one of the analysts at a later date, not one of the actual coroners, this is a, a neuroscientist at a later, later date, had said that if a brain has retained more uh, water or more material, if it's grown by 30%, it's been in formaldehyde. It's been preserved somehow because there's there's obviously something entering that organ that was not originally there. All I know is that they were at a hospital, uh, a military joint, where who knows, they could have had plenty of bodies that they could have pulled brains from and then said, okay, well, this is this brain belonged to Kennedy and just somehow, again, snuck it into the room. But if you get shot in the head and your brains get blown out, I'm sorry, there is not going to be not only a full brain, but a brain bigger than an average brain. It just doesn't add up. Um, and then just no. the way that they they – doctored up his skull is almost absurd. Um, the before the, the original pictures they show where, you know, you see the actual exit wound in the skull and then you see the after pictures. And I'm talking about the Oliver Stone documentary where you can go watch this, but I'm sure if you guys Googled um, before and after, you know, autopsy pictures of, of Kennedy or first and second autopsy pictures of Kennedy, I, I you can find some of these pictures. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so that, you know, the autopsy alone, again, pokes holes in this official narrative that, I don't know. It just it's it's weird. Why why is his get body get moved around, and why are they swapping brains? And I don't know. It just seems like a super obvious cover up for something. Well, and I like that you had mentioned previously that like it's not like they're going to Bethesda, Maryland, and they're like, okay, we want somebody specifically from the Department of Health. Mm -hmm. Or we want some, you know, John Johns Hopkins trained neurophysician or neurophysician, neurosurgeon or anything like that, or a coroner even for that matter. They're taking naval surgeons. It's the president. Naval surgeon. Yes. Yes. Like <laughs> go to the Department of Health. Like you've got all these people at your expense. Hey, like if I get assassinated and somebody wants to do an autopsy on me, like who cares who it is? Like I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just me. Off the street. It's the president. Like you're, and you're exactly. just having some rando come in. So like, just... the autopsy thing is, is screwy as well. Um, and then, you know, finally, the, the last thing I want to mention about the Warren commission, and then we can kind of go on to some motives if you don't mind. Um, mm -hmm. But you said it earlier that LBJ did not ask for an investigation to this until days after. Why is yeah, this not happening week. within minutes? Why exactly. is there not a crazy crime scene set up where the president of the United States was just shot in the head and everybody just kind of, you know, they, they clear people out, they move it on, they go take the car, they clean the car. And I don't know. It's just, it just doesn't, makes sense to me why 
they wouldn't take this more seriously or they had this planned all along. And then, like I said, now LBJ said, okay, well, let's investigate this. Right. And what doesn't make any sense is why was the oath of office such a priority? But, you know, Jackie Kennedy or her feelings there, they weren't a priority. I mean, even Governor Connolly, it's not like anybody was like opening an investigation. This man's got a bullet embedded in him that has traveled through multiple appendages. And instead, we're, we're instead of solving that immediately, they're focused on getting LBJ the oath of office. Are, I, I just I don't understand that. I was all. glad that you threw that in the intro because it is interesting. Why are they in such a rush to f- make him president right away? And, and, you know, you could say you could argue, well, because the country needed a president. Like, that's just what you do. If a president got assassinated tomorrow, Kamala Harris would be getting sworn in like, you know, minutes after. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. It's just funky. And so that maybe is a good segue for some motives. But did you have anything else that kind of poked holes in the official sort of Warren Commission report outside of, you know, the magic bullet, the autopsy, um, the fact that they said Lee Harvey Oswald was working alone, the fact that the rifle was total sham, no fingerprints? I think a lot of things will just continue to emerge because, I mean, when you look at the events leading up, when you look at the events that follow, I definitely want to talk about Jack Ruby. That was the one yes. thing we didn't talk about with um, oh. Oswald. So. Yeah, I, I really want to get into the Jack Ruby stuff a little bit more since you mentioned him. And I think we should at least just quickly say who he was again. Okay, yeah, Jack Ruby. So um, two days after the assassination, Oswald is in the basement of the uh, Dallas police headquarters a nightclub owner is by the name of jack ruby is also in that uh basement and he approaches shoots oswald in the stomach the detective that was escorting one of like 11 officers i think that was escorting oswald recognizes jack ruby and says jack you son of a bitch as he's shooting him so this is a nightclub owner who is known to the Dallas police headquarters. Uh, And apparently they arrest him. They say, oh, yeah, he's just a guy who's supposedly upset, who's disgruntled about the JFK assassination. Um, So, I mean, yeah. So this dude, right, connected to the mob, connected somehow to, uh, you know, I always say just some underground crime. No doubt. He's a nightclub owner. The CIA and the FBI have a long history of working with nightclub people to get information out of them. To, I mean, there's just – you see it in the movies for a reason. It is a common thing where they're stepping on people for information. They might you know, choke one guy to get to another guy. Yes. So this dude – right? First of all, we have Lee Harvey Oswald who's escorted by detectives. Somehow this guy yes. gets close enough to blast him out of nowhere. Yes. And then – I haven't met many criminals who really care lots about the president who are like, oh, I'm so patriotic. I am so upset that the president was taken out by this guy that I'm going to take it on myself to kill the guy who killed the president. Two days after it happens, you know why? Because this is why I think they don't – a lot of people think they don't want Lee Harvey Oswald to talk to slip, to have anybody else ask questions about him. The thing that the sooner we can just shut all these things up, the better. The only thing that screws them is the paper trail that so many people that are real detectives, real journalists, real investigators have dug into and found 
well, things just don't add up. Right, exactly. And one of the things that I think is worth mentioning that I kind of forgot with the uh, Oswald stuff. The first thing Oswald did when he was brought into prison was make a call to a military base in South Carolina, a place he had never lived. Uh, And Jack Ruby himself actually had this theory that he was calling a military officer who would put him in touch with his CIA handler, essentially, um, and uh, would help him out. And, and Jack Ruby himself said this, like he was he was familiar with Oswald already, which is just kind of strange to even think about to begin with. Again, because in, intelligence and crime have these relationships and it goes it goes right to it, I think, you know, um, another thing uh, that goes to kind of poke holes on the Warren Commission's findings or it almost is a scary analog for today, but was that no uh Journalists really questioned it, right? This NBC, CBS, New York Times, uh, the LA Times, nobody disputed or even asked a question about, okay, well, is this real? And I think, you know, it's so similar to news that we get today where people just don't ask questions. Like, yeah, I don't know. Definitely. They just, they're just, and I think, you know, I, and I, I personally am guilty for not having asked questions about this before. I'm 30. And it took 30 years uh, for me to finally say, okay, what happened to JFK and why should I care about this? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not only just JFK. I know a lot of people will say stuff like, oh, well, I don't know why people get obsessed with this specific thing. But this is just one of many different things. It's just it's because it it doesn't make any sense. Here's why it matters so much. It's because it connects to so many other things that. The shadow government, I don't know what to call them, but the people behind elected officials don't want us to know. The best word I had heard for them, and I can't remember where I heard this now at this point because I've listened to so many things and researched, read so many things, lots of different articles, but they call it the frozen bureaucracy. People like, you know, the the head of the CIA, the head of the FBI, I mean, just Hoover was in charge of the FBI for a disgusting amount of time. There was no term limits, nothing like that. And you can't imagine that these people are not misusing their power. There is just no possible way. Exactly. And the connections are insane, which leads me back to something specific about Jack Ruby that is, again, damning. Jack Ruby, when he was brought in after shooting Lee Harvey Oswald, was diagnosed or rather evaluated by a psychiatrist who said, quote, he had an unsound mind and psychosis, kind of using them interchangeably. It came out much later, actually uh, in 1976 with the House Select Committee, that the psychiatrist who evaluated him was none other than Jolly West. Jolly West, the same psychiatrist that was in the hate in San Francisco, giving people LSD in MKUltra, which is a confirmed conspiracy. It is on released CIA documents. Joylin West was the one who evaluated Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby was framed 
he knew that there was some kind of greater conspiracy that he was a part of. And that's not even the worst of it. Like it gets even deeper. No, people are framed within frames within frames. It's the weirdest thing. And that's why uh, I think there's so many rabbit holes to go down here. You already mentioned MK Ultra, which we'll get to again in a little bit. Uh, but this idea that they keep trying to cover up their tracks so they declare somebody insane or they dose them or they off them or they hire some criminal to off them or they manipulate somebody into offing them. Uh, and when I say they, I'm talking about the, the CIA, the CIA mm -hmm. unquestionably at, at, for this one. So as far as motives for like why they would want to kill the president. Right. I mean, it's pretty obvious, uh, at least we can say that the Warren Commission's report doesn't hold up. So that leads other people, conspiracy theorists, whatever you want to call people, truth diggers. Um, it leaves us to ask the questions. Well, what did happen? What, what would be the motives for killing him? Right. So if we're saying that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone and that he was connected in some way to intelligence, what would uh, what are some of the motives that the intelligence agencies would have for getting rid of him. And where do you think a good place to start for that would be? I mean, one of the like accepted narratives of why he specifically killed him was that he was jealous because he had th that Lee Harvey Oswald was jealous of Kennedy because he had a beautiful wife. He had a lot of money and he had a lot of power. That is the Warren commission accepted, uh, motive wow yeah and and which doesn't even make sense because uh lee harvey oswald was actually well had they had allegedly admitted to the uh warren commission that right before that actually in uh 1963 earlier i think it was april he had actually taken a shot at a major general, a uh, guy by the name of Edwin Walker, and they said it's because he was anti-communist. Um, so even though at the time Oswald was hanging out with anti-Cubans, he was never convicted of that, and they never gave a motive to that. So it's like if he's shooting Kennedy because he has power, because he has money, because he has all these other things, well, Edwin Walker had none of those things. So what was his what was his motive to take a shot at him if, if we're going to compare those two things? Now, obviously, the president is something completely different, but this is the same guy trying to kill two different people. Right. <laughs> so this wasn't the only assassination plot on Kennedy's life. Um, yeah. There had been multiple before this, and um, from my understanding, and one of my favorite words that I came across from all this investigation is patsy. Uh, yes. Just uh, basically somebody who is essentially working sort of with the government, is that, is that how you describe them, but they're like kind of undercover? It's like a person who's a part of a greater scheme. Right. Okay, man. I have so been like thinking about that. Mafia. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have been thinking about that so much as it applies to the organization and in my head yeah, just being like dude. oh my gosh this person's a patsy you know you got oh. patsies working among oh, everybody they are but another <laughs> another patsy worth mentioning is the 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 plot that was previously in tampa uh on Florida. kennedy's life they arrested this guy named gilbert polycarpo lopez and he was like the the supposed lone gunman there you never hear that name get thrown around let me tell you what 
No, and um, the pl- what was the plot in – oh, the plot in Chicago was the one that was almost insanely to a T similar to the one that happened in Dallas where it was this open cab uh, convoy, you know, coming down the road. There was going to be, you know, people placed at different locations, but there was, you know, about a four or five-story high building that had this perfect, you know, angle to hit him at the perfect time. And I don't know who sort of leaked or foiled that plan, but, I mean, it was known that somebody had tried to assassinate him in an eerily similar way in Chicago. Like they had tried yeah. to set it up and it didn't work. And they say, well, we'll get them next time, whoever the they is, right? Yep. And funnily enough, Chicago being the, the exact place where Jack Ruby's Chicago outfit was operating out of. So the mafia, the mob that he was a part of was another thing uh, that was operating in Chicago, which leads me to another motive. Uh, where people say that it was the mob, it was the mafia. Um, that's an accepted idea, I guess. It's something that's entertained. The House Select Committee says no. The Warren Commission said maybe. Um, but Kennedy's father was a huge bootlegger. Maybe not him personally bootlegging, but he was funding bootlegging operations during Prohibition. Uh, and they think that the Kennedys had been tied up with the mafia from a very early point of the 1900s, and then that it had somehow uh, persisted up to 1963. I think there's actually uh, things to be said about, you know, going back to motives about kind of who Kennedy is and the family that he comes from. So, you you know, you touched on the fact that maybe the mob or the mafia was upset with him because of the organized crime that maybe his family had supported or been involved with that to some degree. I didn't know that about his dad, though. So his dad funded bootleggers. Yeah, made a lot of money off of bootleggers. So not, not allegedly connected, without no, a doubt no. connected. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so I I didn't yep. know that, but other things to consider, right? So he's succeeding. Um, I'm gonna go back even before that. Uh, he's grown up from a family of wealth, right? He's born as you know a white guy, family of wealth, uh, a Pacific uh, North, or sorry, not Pacific, sorry, Northeast Atlantic, Massachusetts, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he joins the Navy. And I saw a couple of interesting things about, you know, is that a, was he joining the Navy so that he could get political points? Like, you know, his father and his family was like, Hey dude, you're going to have to join the services so that, you know, when you run for office someday, you can say that you served the country. But then there's others that said, no, he was actually a patriotic dude. He wanted to serve. And while he was serving, he did some pretty heroic things, like things that are worth, uh, um, you know, kind of a tip of the hat to apparently uh, oh, uh, there was yeah. a boat that had capsized and he had saved some people. Is that right? Yep. Yep. PT-109, so, that was his, pa- his patrol boat. Yeah. But I'm glad you bring up his military history because he actually hadn't gone to the military until he had gone through Harvard. Um, went through Harvard. He was a, a like a government studies, international studies major, but with his focus on government, obviously. Um refused to join a secret society which is like that's like a big thing at harvard most of those guys go to the secretary of state where or the state department excuse me whereas most people at yale go to the cia really um yes yeah i don't know anything about that what's it called skull and bones baby uh it's called the good shepherd matt damon and uh robert de niro but it's i mean it's based off of real stuff 
Yes, yes. Uh, Yale has Yale was the center for the OSS. Oh, and then a lot of these these graduates will go to or graduates students will go to Yale. They'll get involved in a society called Skull and Bones, and then they go through like an initiation process. To so get Kennedy, the, to get into the OSS, folks did. To, yes, yes, yep. And they were yeah. handpicking just nerds, essentially, that they could use for sure. Yep, bootlickers, essentially. Uh, and and <laughs> Kennedy was was completely opposed to this. So actually, when Kennedy graduated Harvard, he knew he was going to go to uh, some kind of military um, branch. He knew he was going to go to one. Originally, he started out in the Army. He had uh, chronic back pain, so he wasn't able to continue with that. So he ended up going to the Naval Reserves. Uh, when he got to the Naval Reserves, they actually told him he was going to be an intelligence officer. And he said, if I'm going to be an intelligence officer, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so then they were like, OK, you'll be a patrol boat captain. And that's actually how he ended up at his post. So he was opposed to intelligence from the very beginning. Right. And the fact that it rubbed him the wrong way makes me think I'm more of I, I, you People know me. I'm more of a glass half full person, more of a positive person. I like to think that Kennedy joined for the right reasons and that he wasn't doing it for maybe some political gain. And even if he was, I'd like to think that that, may, that was maybe 20% of his reasons, right? That it wasn't, yeah. you know, the whole pie. Um, and so, you know, he gets in there uh, and then after he leaves, he goes from congressman to senator really fast at a really young mm -hmm. age. And he's really yep. well liked locally uh, in the Massachusetts area, excuse me. And then also uh, once he becomes a senator, he gets some national renown. I mean, he's he's working for the State Department, going over and work, uh, you know, he's hanging out at Vietnam. He's getting in touch with the Vietnamese. He's finding that they're pretty cool people. And, and as he's seeing the French are getting their shit pushed in, he's thinking, hey, um, maybe the U.S. doesn't need to be here. Maybe we don't need to be involved in this conflict, which really, I don't care. I will argue with anybody Tom Blue in the face. The original conflict in Vietnam is a war for independence. The Vietnamese wanted independence. It was a decolonization war. And France initially went in there to stop them from getting independence. France did not want them to be free. And you can argue the motives that's where you can argue, you know, why is it money? Is it pride? Is it what, what is it, you know? And, and, and then you can argue again for reasons as to why the United States got involved. Is it money, the military industrial complex? We can get there in a second, but I wanted to go just to that idea that, I mean, from the get go, he was anti-war, right? Yes. He's a peaceful yes. dude and he's had experience in war. So this isn't some chump who's just, you know, a tree hugger. Oh, I don't want any war. He, he's been there and he knows that yeah. it's, it's not good for, for America in, in general. Um, well, and he had studied diplomacy for so long and it was so interested in uh, international affairs. And that's why I think Kennedy's foreign policy. I mean, I am totally biased. I love JFK. I thought he was a fantastic president, uh, mainly because of his foreign policy, mainly because of his stance on uh, staying away from war and advocating for peace and things like that. But I mean, he was by no means like the the Vietnam term of hawk. He was not a hawk. I wouldn't say he was entirely a dove either, but he definitely. No, he was a smart dude. Yeah, he he's just, he's, he's measured about other people. Yes. 
And and I didn't know much about him until I started doing more research. I mean, I love the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. It's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. And they do a really good job kind of painting, you know, the Kennedy years as president and even pre-president in that documentary. And that's really all I knew about him from aside from what I picked up in my American history class as an, you know, a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. which is sadly a long time ago. Um, and so as I've been learning more about him, you brought it up. I mean, he was a well-liked dude. We like him. I didn't even know him. And there's certain yeah, presidents, yeah. you know, I didn't see him on TV, but I like what I know about him. It's like, I don't know anything about Lincoln, but I like what I know about him. I don't know much about TJ. Yeah, exactly. But I like what I know about him. Right. And so yeah. that Kennedy falls into that realm for me. Uh, and so he succeeds Eisenhower, right? He does make it to the presidency. Um, he debates, is it Nixon? Is that right? Yes. So he debates Nixon uh, for the Democratic um, uh, primary, right? Or is that, or no, is that the debate, the, the presidential debate? That was the debate. So he yeah, was running as a Republican, then Nixon is Republican? Yes. Cool. He was a former vice president. Okay. So, yeah. um, so anyways, they are, they are basically battling it out, right? Wait, he was Eisenhower's vice president? Yes. Oh, cool. I did not, yeah, I did not know that. Like I, I've always said, I didn't teach American history, but this is, uh, it's good to keep uh, digging into some of this stuff. So yep. Nixon, who is Eisenhower's vice president, Republican, very much has uh, Eisenhowerisms, definitely pro-war, definitely what we think of as, you know, small C conservative back in that day. And then Kennedy is this sort of new world thinking dude. He's kind of young, represents the younger minded people, and uh, he ends up winning. Right. And people argue Mm -hmm. all back and forth. Oh, it was because the debate was televised and people saw and all this other stuff. But he wins. And you mentioned this to me. He was the president with the highest approval rating ever. Right. Or no. Yes. Seventy eight percent. And that was during his time. Yes, that was during his time. That is the that is. So they started measuring it with Truman. Uh, and since then, Kennedy still has had the highest approval rating of all time at 78%. That's nuts. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So again, back to some of these motives. Okay. So he becomes the president. He already is anti-war. He already is kind of, you know, doesn't like the nuclear weapons and stuff like that. So shortly after he's president, should we, is, is Bay of Pigs kind of the first thing that really, rubs people the wrong way or is it just his ideas about intelligence where he's like, you know what, we, we can minimize this. We don't need the CIA and some of these other intelligence uh, sort of gathering areas to be so big and bureaucratic. We can roll it back. We're not at war. I think that was a lot of it. Uh, well, there was definitely some like harbor distrust between the CIA and Kennedy because of the fact that he – again, was not very privy to um, intelligence agencies or intelligence collection in general. But I think his foreign policy really rubbed a lot of the other people in the government the wrong way. Um, Contrary to popular belief, Kennedy was not like he did not necessarily despise Khrushchev or Castro, for that matter. In fact, both of those men specifically shed tears when they heard that JFK had been assassinated. A lot of foreign, a lot of foreign leaders did. And in fact, you know what? One of the most disturbing things that I had kind of reflected on in my research 
was how much more upset foreign leaders were than it seemed any of the people in our own government were. LBJ included the fucking vice president. It was just like, well, I'm president now. It's like he had this whole it's good to be the king attitude. Mm-hmm. Just, you got these other heads of state who are sad. People are mourning. They're having these things. And, and I think, again, that's where Americans who were around at that time, and I can't speak for them because I wasn't around, but are starting to say, okay, something isn't right. And so you mentioned his foreign policy, right? And I think we can dig into that. So he had poor feelings on Vietnam to begin with, but he had poor feelings on militarism. And I like that you said he wasn't a dove. He wasn't like, a, yeah. a, a you know, he wasn't a, a pro total peace guy. He's just saying we can do better. We can have more peace. We can have more security in a post sort of World War II world. He, like his predecessor, sort of knew that there was the potential for a military industrial complex to basically run out of control. And I think he was in sort of the passenger seat. I don't think any presidents ever, in my personal opinion, is that they're ever in the driver's seat. They're they're kind of in the passenger seat. I mean, we kind of agree. It's sad. And this is one of those conclusions I think I came to as I was digging into this where I started to realize the executive is not making as many decisions as we thought. And Kennedy commented on that, that he yes. felt, especially after the Bay of Pigs, that he doesn't really know where the levers of government are. He doesn't feel like he is in control of the government that he was elected to run, which is bizarre because why don't we hear other presidents say actually we, – we, love or hate Trump, he's another one of those guys who kind of was like, hey, like there's some weird stuff going on here. And I think that's kind of why he was was popular among regular Joes and Janes. But anyways, as far as um, as far as the Bay of Pigs, how would we explain what that is maybe to people who have no reference? Because I still am kind of struggling. I mean, I know that the U.S. has beef with uh, Cuba because of Castro and communism and that the CIA was – Sowing seeds of this is a good time to talk about Operation North Northfield Northwoods. Northwoods, yeah. This is in 1962. Yeah, yeah. So they are basically sowing these seeds of of dissent within the United States, where you have pro and anti-Cuban people sort of fighting, but a lot of these groups are instigated by the CIA inside of the United States and in my mind, it's just basically a way of getting Americans to think that, man, we don't want any business to do with Cuba because they uh, have their own stuff that they need to solve, right? And yeah. they also wanted to stir up this sort of anti-communist sentiment in the United States. And so my understanding of the Bay of Pigs invasion was that it was an invasion orchestrated by the CIA to infiltrate Cuba and overthrow Castro. Is that is that a yes. good place to start? That's accurate. Yeah, I I think we honestly can start before that. I mean, we can start in 1959 when Fidel came to power. Um, I I think that's important because we kind of need to establish a baseline as to why the CIA wanted to invade Cuba in the first place. You know, and when we keep talking about the CIA, it's kind of funny because it's like we're not talking about why the United States wants to invade Cuba. Like, what does the CIA want? And this all goes back. And, you know, I'm just thinking on my feet here. But, like, if the CIA wants to do something, well, the CIA seems to, at least since World War II, they seem to get what they want. And they kind of run unchecked. 
There's there's no check on intelligence in our country, which is no. why people like Snowden and Julian Assange and these other people can can be celebrated. And then it's for the average people. And I don't care if anybody's like, oh, you're a fucking loser for saying that. Traitor. Right. No, dude, I'm not a traitor. Like they are giving us they're helping to check this unchecked power, which is so rampant. So go back. I'm sorry to go off on that tangent. You're good. Go back to what you were saying about 1959 and, and Castro. Okay. So Castro did come to power in 1959. Um, but I mean, all of that relates back to containment, relates back to this second red scare that's hitting the U.S. at this time. Of course, the first one being after the Bolshevik Revolution uh, in, in the Soviet Union. But... Um, you know what, just because it's irrelevant, I'm just going to get into uh, communism in Laos as well, because we had been talking about Vietnam. Uh, so Laos was actually under a government called the Patet Lao, uh, who was actually, I mean, they're still communists to this day, but uh, the Patet Lao were running things. Eisenhower was not okay with that. That's when Alan Dulles really gets involved as head of the CIA, talking about containment and all these other things. Um they were unsuccessful in overthrowing the Patet Lao. Alan Dulles was a guy who promoted that theory? Of containment? Yeah, who who is the guy who's known for starting that, or was it him? Uh, it, it wasn't him directly. He was not the one that's Okay, like but he was a guy that was definitely supportive of it. So, oh, yeah, he perpetuated it big time. Yeah, this the Alan Dole's guy really rubs me the wrong way, especially how he kind of weaseled himself into this head of the CIA. And so you mentioned Laos, people getting weird about communism. We could also just, while we're talking about it, throw China in the mix as well, because that also happened where they turned communists. And so this domino theory of, you know, the country slowly but surely turning communist is leading towards Cuba becoming communist yes right and so we're yep, yep. shaking in our boots thinking oh sh crap we're gonna have communism on our doorstep yeah and and we're not the only countries that are like aware of this like even khrushchev was looking at laos and being like holy shit like they are becoming a fully communist country um and jfk quite frankly just wanted to leave them alone and people knew that when he was a senator um but Going back to Cuba now, so Castro rises to power in 1959. He overthrows a military dictator by the name of Fulgencio Batista. Not a lot of people know about that, uh, that he was like a specific military dictator. Um, and the thing that I think a lot of people don't know on top of that is the fact that we put Fulgencio Batista in power. We put this dude in power. He goes into... Uh, office uh after this coup he removes the right to strike he sells uh all available sugar plantations to the united states so he commandeers them from the cuban people sells them to the united states he uh specifically collaborates with the american mafia to exploit the cuban commercial interests as far as things like uh i mean this is nuts but in havana the capital of cuba he's allowing them to uh control Drugs, prostitution, and gambling. So Fulgencio Batista is like a full-blown full American gangster in Cuba, and he's running the whole fucking country. Um, and then they share all those profits with American corporations. 
so then on top of that, he's striking down these people that are speaking up against him. He tortures people in public. He executes people in public. Um, and again, this is all because we put this dude in power in 1933 and he gets overthrown by Castro in 59. And so the people are supportive of Castro and they're supportive of revolution and you end up with a, another communist revolution. And you are touching on so many amazing things here because that reminds me of uh, Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, supported yes. by the OSS because they thought yes. that if Ho Chi Minh could lead a liberation movement against the Japanese, that, that would actually help their efforts. So they give Ho Chi Minh guns. They support him. They are encouraging him uh, basically all, with all these ideas about uh, freedom and independence for Vietnam. And they can do what, you know, the United States did and, and, you know, be rid of their colonizers who at that time were the Japanese who happened to replace the French. Yes. And the French come back in again. We don't have to get there. But Ho Chi Minh was supported by the United States government and then we go in and we fight him and we do the same thing with terrorist groups and then that also leads to Guatemala right Guatemala this is pre-Kennedy um, yes. where uh, yes. the, you know you have the intelligence agencies again working with Eisenhower going in there installing governments that are causing all these issues and then you end up with these uh, is it is junta the right word these military leaders Yep, military junta, junta, either way. Yeah. Anyways, and then um, that also reminded me of um, uh, not only Batista being replaced, but when you have people like um, Castro coming to power, the average people in Cuba are supportive of that. And the U.S. is responsible. I, I can't even say the U.S., the CIA or whoever is, is doing these operations, they are responsible for this unrest in these countries because they put people in power that caused issues. Yes. Oh, for sure. And if, and if anybody, if anybody wants to debate that, I mean, you can, you can look at two specific examples. You brought up Jacobo Arbenz in 1954, which is good because we had put in uh, Armas and that was a military junta. Yeah. Guatemala. Like said. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. What did I say? Did I say you? No, no, you didn't. But I was letting listeners know. Excuse me. I was letting listeners that we transitioned to mention just Guatemala really quickly about yes, those. Yes, yes, 1954, yes. Guatemala, uh, United States had some puppetry yes. going on. So I was just trying to yes. fill people in and I apologize. Thank you. Thank you. That's the banana republics. That's where we right. get those. The year before that, 1953, we launched a coup in Iran because Mohammad Mossadegh was uh, nationalizing their oil against the British. And the United States fucking freaked out. And uh, that's when the CIA started putting bricks in the city, encouraging people to... Uh, you know, kind of freak out over Mossadegh. Mossadegh went to deal with those things, and then we reinstated the Shah. And then the last one to get us back on track is the action in the Congo. And so, oh, uh, right, God. you have a <laughs> you have a guy leading a basically a, a one fair and square in an election. Um, and I, I, what was were his politics more left leaning? Is that why we freaked out? So we got he a was more actually a democratic socialist. Democratic Socialist won fair and square in the Congo. The Congo was having some of their first elections, celebrating independence post-World War II. Rah, rah, rah. Well, the fucking Belgians got upset that uh, that their guy or the guy that they wanted to win didn't win. So yes. they ask the United States and other people, 
uh, other European countries for support in overthrowing the dude who was elected fair and square in the Congo. And Patrice Lumumba. Thank you for the names. Yes, Lumumba. 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 Patrice Lumumba. So he was the guy who was elected fair and square. And then they basically uh, shadow organizations, these intelligence agencies in the United States, in Belgium, and some other co-conspirators in, in Western Europe basically worked to overthrow him. They arrest him. And did they kill him? Yeah, Patrice Lumumba was was publicly executed. And then uh, Joseph Mobutu yeah, was brought Dude. to power. And Mobutu is the guy who is basically backed by Western powers. Yeah, specifically the United States. That dude was a fucking monster, too. And I just, it doesn't, nothing about this makes sense to me in any case. So these are all post-World War II. The United States has never formally been at war. We've never had an official declaration of war since World War II. And I got to give a shout out to Lucas Evans, former uh, student, had said that um, the U.S. hasn't ever had war since World War II. We've always had incidents. Incidents, conflicts. Right. Whether these incidents are in Congo, Guatemala, Cuba, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, you name it. We keep having these incidents and all of these incidents end up costing billion. There's an incident in Ukraine, um, but they're costing us billions. And in this current case, hundreds of billions of dollars. And that means we have to make more tanks. We got to make more bullets. We got to make more uh, helicopters. We got to make more jets. We got to make more bases. And this is generating money. And that's exactly what the the military industrial complex is for folks who aren't quite aware of what it means. And people say that this idea that if we're perpetually at war, that businesses get to perpetually make the things that we need to go to war, stuff that goes boom and everything that supports the stuff that goes boom. And, you end up with this positive feedback loop where people and corporations are making money that they are then using to lobby government officials to keep these conflicts going so that they can keep making money to keep lobbying government. And before we know it, we're in a corporatocracy where they're running the show. They're calling the shots. There's a reason why there's a saying that war is money because they make so much fucking money off of war. I'm glad you bring that up too because – Eisenhower was the one who warned about it, but Eisenhower perpetuated it. We went to Korea. We went to Yemen. We went to Laos. We went to Guatemala, Vietnam, all these places under his presidency, which led us up to the Bay of Pigs, of course, again, with the CIA. So that's a great, that's, you know, brings us kind of back full circle. So the Bay of Pigs happens, which is essentially the U.S. going in to try to overthrow Cuba. Now, I have heard some really interesting things that it was actually designed to fail. It was designed to fail so that we, it was designed to fail by the CIA so the United States could declare war on Cuba. The Navy moved a fleet of ships outside of Cuba without asking Kennedy permission. They're just yeah. like, we're doing this, which means who told them? The CIA said, hey, move your boats here because maybe we can get the president to declare war. Thank God for his measuredness and his composure because he is actually very upset that the Bay of Pigs went wrong. He is upset that he didn't even know that it was really happening and all is happening behind his back. That's where he makes his famous comments that I'm not really in control of what's happening here. People are doing these operations behind my back. He finds out that you know they're, they're basically trying to make a bigger incident out of this, trying to escalate to a real war with Cuba, and he stops it. 
And then because of that, because he feels like he was stabbed in the back, he was. Yeah. That now he has to do something about this. And so he's, maybe I should start to scale back the CIA. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's where you get the Alan Dulles quote of that Kennedy thought he was a god. He, he freaks out. Alan Dulles being the director of the CIA who perpetuated this entire conflict, who planned this whole conflict, who took responsibility after Kennedy had already publicly announced that he was going to be the one accountable for it. When really Alan Dulles just organized this entire thing. Yes, it was planned to fail. Um, and I, man, this is where we got to get into these absolutely horrible the Alan Dulles stuff. Yes. Okay. So that's a, a this is happening really naturally, which is nice. Um, kind of yeah. moving from piece to piece. So we got we kind of unpacked the motives for what the CIA was doing behind the scenes with all these overthrow operations. They were kind of running all these things behind the seats. This is obviously during the fifties and the time of the Cold War, early sixties. Kennedy's in office, and he wants to scale back the CIA. So the CIA's history, and I think it's important to mention the intelligence sort of history up to this point, um, the United States has never been a big – it sounds weird saying it in 2023, but before World War II, we weren't a very big intelligence-gathering nation. We had very small – Washington had spies, the American Revolution, very small-scale gathering intel on British movements and logistics and stuff like that. Civil War comes around. Um, There is an Office of Intelligence. They try to figure out kind of what's happening, uh, very similar to Washington. Where are the Confederate troops going? Where are their supplies? How can we stop them here, stop them there? But that's where they start to realize the utility of intelligence. And so um, I had read that General Grant basically asks for an intelligence office to be uh, constructed right next to his so that when he's Mm -hmm. making decisions, he can do that with intelligence helping him out which is exactly what they do in other wars, right? So then they scale it back again. They don't need it. They're sort of, you know, that's when you have the Pinkertons and you have these detective agencies all throughout the late 1800s who are like, you know, these cowboy detectives, all you guys who played Red Dead and all that will know about the Pinkertons. And they're just these famous detectives, but you don't really need these uh, agents, right? And even through World War One, you have the classic PI, right? Saving the femme fatale and all these things. You have these sort of uh, regular detectives. So World War One rolls around. Before World War One, the the intelligence agencies is they're drawing maps and they're 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 just gathering basic information about heads of state around the world, but. There's not a whole lot of secret trading and stuff like that. You don't really see that until, you know, really once World War I is underway and you have spies embedded into different countries and agents and double agents and whatnot. And then we have the OSS. The OSS is, you know, the famous World War II um, intelligence gathering agency. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I haven't gotten this far in my book, but I'm not sure how the OSS becomes the CIA. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really natural or because, not, but they never scaled back after world war two. That's where I was going. Yes. Yeah. No, that's exactly, that's exactly right. It, the OSS was essentially the CIA in world war two. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Office of this special services. Get, yeah. Yeah. This is where things get especially nasty when we talk about the birth of the CIA. Right. And uh, this is where the, it gets creepy. 
And this is where I start to get some of the weird heebie-jeebies. And this is where we can actually start to prosecute them, for lack of a better word, for their motives. So, um, you know, they're doing all these operations behind the scenes. Um, But what's their their origin? How would you explain that? Because from my uh, basic research, this is happening under Truman's presidency, right? Or is Mm -hmm. it Eisenhower? Truman is when so, yeah, the CIA started. So, yeah, it starts under him, but Dulles doesn't take over until Eisenhower, correct? Or correct. is it right away? 1953. Okay, so yeah. even, in, even in its infancy, the CIA was, re- from what I could gather, really just collecting information on Russia and sort of the post-World War II world. They're not – they don't have yes. their mitts in – all of this weird kind of intelligence gathering and this overthrow of nations. And then somehow they got an agenda. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know what, this is where the CIA, the birth of the CIA, regardless of if Alan Dulles become president of the CIA until, you know, 53, which was what, six years after the CIA was established, that guy was the chief architect of intelligence services in the United States, the chief architect. I say that because 1945, the OSS launches Operation Sunrise. Operation Sunrise would smuggle Nazi war criminals, two in in particular, Carl Wolf and Walter Rauf, uh, out of Germany after World War II. And and they they went through these little... Tunnels called rat lines. That's how um, um, Goebbels got out. That's how um, uh, Eichmann got out. That's how all of these um, these other uh, and for for just some of the out. listeners, these are some of the nastiest Nazis with some of the grossest motives in tight with Hitler, and they yes, are basically yes. smuggled out by. OSS operatives. Uh, some yes. went to uh, Argentina. Some went to Chile. Some ended up in the United States. Yep, yep. And and uh, it's. I mean, Ralph specifically would go directly to Chile uh, and meet with Augusto Pinochet. So obviously, the the Chilean dictator that would kill fucking millions of people. Um, but so the Dulleses, it goes all the way back really to 1919. We have the Paris Peace Accords, uh, World War I ends, and we get uh, the declaration that the German people are going to be the ones to pay reparations to pretty much everyone else. The Ottoman Empire is crumbled. The, the responsibility for World War I is falling on the Germans. Uh, and these two brothers... John Foster Dulles, I'll, I'll call him Foster from here on out because that's what he went by, and Alan Dulles, they work for this uh, law firm called Sullivan and Cromwell. Um, and they are, I mean, they're, they're educated in law, but they weren't actively working as like attorneys per se, but they were like legal counsel uh, for the United States. So they go through working in this this uh operation for a a very long time i mean uh both of them will eventually get government positions but 1933 foster and alan dulles actually meet with mussolini and hitler uh and that's when the third i didn't know that yes yes and this is where the seed of the cia oss gets planted yeah, it's it's planted there because you're making contact with these people across the world. 
direct quote from Foster Dulles. He says specifically that he was impressed with Hitler and that he was uh, after talking to Hitler and Goebbels, Alan Dulles had actually said that he was much better than depicted, which is just fucking just disgusting. Right. So these know. guys, again, uh, just in case people forgot, Alan Dulles, who said this stuff and his brother Frank, or sorry, Foster, they become heads of, I mean, Frank is the uh, Secretary of State, correct? Yes, yeah, and then 1953, yep. And then in the same year, Alan Dulles becomes the head of the CIA. And yes. these are people that, that looked up to the Mussolinis and the Hitlers of the world, and they aided Nazis. It is known. This is not, this is not conspiracy. And that's the thing where I think people are like, what? Are you serious? Yes. That's what's yeah, messed up. Yeah. Is that we are serious. And so these yeah, guys and go for it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, not only that, not only were they getting information from Mussolini and Hitler, but they also were both huge investors in IG Farben. For those of you that don't know, IG Farben is the exact same company that manufactured Zyklon B, the gas that was responsible for the death of over 2 million Jewish people in World War II. In the Holocaust, that same company was invested in by none other than the guys that are responsible for U.S. intelligence services. Right. Direct connection. So uh, other things I wanted to mention about the CIA really quick, and then we kind of go back to some of these motives for why the CIA would have to kill him, uh, Alan Dulles in particular. So essentially, from what I understand is that the CIA's mandate is to gather information not on Americans, but on everywhere outside of America and from its inception, even the, OES, even the OSS from their inception was basically to prevent another Pearl Harbor, to prevent a 9-11, which pff, you can you know, say all you want about that. But um, so that was their mission, right, is to basically protect the United States from foreign things. It has been made clear that the CIA and the NSA and these other organizations have without a doubt spied on Americans. Now, the FBI oh, yeah. uh, is another intelligence agency, right? Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yeah. Their mandate was to investigate crimes on the federal level. So you have the CIA who basically is looking outside of the United States and the FBI is looking inside of the United States. And both of them are not only surveilling Americans, but they seem to be very caught up in this military industrial complex. They are getting funding and more money. Are they, they, they do well as far as their pockets are concerned when America is at war because they're, you know, they're getting tax revenue and they're getting funding. And so it's in their best interest to keep America perpetually having a war on drugs for the FBI or the DEA or for the CIA to have these terrorist conflicts. Like it is in their interest to, to have these conflicts. And so Kennedy obviously didn't want that. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a clear, clear overreach here, and Kennedy wanted to to roll that back. I think a lot of this stuff I have on the CIA, I think we should just have a special episode on CIA, you know, famous moles, spycraft, codes, neutralizing nuclear codes. I mean, that, that's a whole other topic, I think. 
So I got a lot of stuff to say about that. And okay. it's not good. All right. Well, let's just stick to the Alan Dulles then and, and Kennedy and we'll come back to CIA and intelligence in another time. So other other motivations, right? So Kennedy's talking about peace, he's talking about ending intelligence, he's challenging the establishment, the shadow government. Again, going back to calling them the frozen bureaucracy, and he really wants to make America kind of like it was pre-World War II. That's kind of his vision. Yes, yeah, exactly. And uh, the thing about pre-World War II America is that that I guess you could say that's before the the military industrial complex really existed because I mean we had never seen a, a war on a scale like World War One. Well, in World War One, we were only the United States. Yes, we were sending money over there, but we were only in the conflict not even for a year, right? I mean, is it? Yeah. Uh, I think if I remember right, it's November of nineteen seventeen, and we get boots on the ground, and the conflict is done. November of of nineteen eighteen. Um, yep. But, I, I mean, they came in trickles. There wasn't a lot of soldiers. I mean, if, uh, again, if my memory serves me right, it was about 300,000 soldiers a month up to 1918. So we ended up with, you know, a, a decent amount of soldiers over there. But they rolled back real quick, and not everybody was in the trenches. Um, they weren't producing tons of, you know, guns, tanks, bullets, all this other stuff. But we realized, hey, we could if we needed to. And right. again, even for World War II, we were not doing that right away. We were sending money. We were lending boats. We were sending guns. And then it gets to a point where after Pearl Harbor, even a year into the war, we don't have that full industrial churning. But dude, 1944 rolls around and the United States is rolling out boats like we're rolling out Model Ts. We're rolling out machine guns. And we're, I mean, anything that we could possibly make was being built and it was being built well. It was being built efficiently. And all of these contracts were from the government. They were government yes. contracts. And you know what they did? It fixed the depression real quick, put everybody's ass right back to work. You were in a factory doing something and that was helping out the war effort. Or if you were a farmer, you were growing extra whatever and you were getting subsidized by the government because your money wasn't – your food was not going to the farmer's market. Your food was going to the soldiers. But you were still getting paid. Everybody was getting paid. Because of the war. Yep, those victory gardens. Yep. It, well, I'm glad you bring all that up because World War II, uh, it, you said 1944 is when it kicked off. It most definitely did. I think. I meant the industrial complex. Mean, like once, yeah, yeah once yeah, those yeah. wheels really get turning, those factories are pumping. Yes. And I'm glad you say that because um, this is me theorizing here, but 1943, Alan Dulles, to say that fucker's name again met with Heinrich Himmler, and he was negotiating a contract to cut the Soviets out of the end of World War II, and then he was going to pass a little bit of money towards Himmler. Oh, my God. Why? Because he wanted to make more money off the war, and after that, both Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, FDR specifically requested to have them tried for treason. Never happened. These dudes were tried for treason and they, they end up, dude, what weasels, how, how, yeah. how, and then once they're in power, they're so greasy. They, I swear this guy is going to freaking knock on my door after this episode, but anyway, no kidding. Yeah. Well, and, and then to just really express the magnitude of this, of how close Himmler and, uh, Dulles were. Oh my God. 
I can't believe this, but Dulles was the was the guy who hired a CIA agent to well, it was OSS to move Himmler to Switzerland. When he was caught by the Brits, he bit down on that cyanide pill. The only reason he got out of Germany was Alan Dulles. Oh my goodness. So yeah, did this I mean was it a fake cyanide pill? I didn't know any of that. No, it was real. It was real. The Brits caught him. He chomped down on that thing. He was out. They they dressed him in um like a blue raincoat and they gave him a blue eye patch. So that he wouldn't have to base so the the cyanide pill was given to him, you think, by Americans so he wouldn't have to stand trial? No, that was actually something that the the Nazis did do. Like, if you ever got caught, you were. Supposed I remember, to I know, like, uh, uh, you know, in Hitler's bunker and stuff, people had done that. I just, I never really learned much more about how Himmler had died. And um, this is more for the listeners. I need to correct myself if I'm wrong. He is the leader of the Einsatzgruppen, right? The SS. Yes. yes. Okay. Schutzstaffen. Schutzstaffen. Oh, what what was the Einsatzgruppen? Well, that's the that's the secret police with the Gestapo. And okay, the, the brown shirts, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The Schutzstaffen is like the. Um, they're like the special the spearhead, forces, basically. right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. Amen. I just want to make sure I have my own shit right. Um, yeah. So you're good. Uh, yeah. So this the CIA obviously dirty from the start, nasty, yeah. dirty, filthy, and has their mitts into some of the grossest post war crimes. And this, I, this, some of this stuff I've just learned from you tonight, which is why I love this. Um, so looking at at Kennedy in general, he's got a poor a poor feeling on militarism in general. He, it's yes. just not not his cup of tea. And to be fair, it it shouldn't really be anybody's cup of tea. It almost seems like uh, again going back to the idea of the president not being in the driver's seat. It seems like and this is where it get, this is where it gets conspiratorial. This is where it gets conjecture. I've never liked LBJ. Every single time I've seen that dude talk, I and this is back when I was super fascinated by Vietnam and and the soldiers' experience in Vietnam. I'd read books and I'd watch uh, you know videos on LBJ speeches and just the way that he escalated the war seemed without any warrant or cause. Like none of his decisions make sense. But I was looking at those decisions in a vacuum as a college history student. I wasn't considering the CIA's role in escalating or, or I was not even wise enough to consider the military-industrial complex's role in escalating this conflict. And LBJ being a patsy for these, for these people. I mean he's basically a wheel in the yeah. machine. So it's almost like they're like, okay, well, if you become the vice president, if, if you know, somehow – Kennedy is out of the picture. Will you work with us? Yes, exactly. And it seemed well, he clearly did, right? And so did oh, Nixon, God, yeah. and so did every other. Most seems like most of the other presidents. I can't speak on them because I don't know enough to say that. But it seems like every president since Kennedy, they haven't gotten assassinated, so they must have played the game well enough. It's true, and I mean, some of them even have direct ties to the CIA beforehand. Um, but I mean, going back to LBJ, I think it's damning that uh, there had been information. I can't remember directly what the source was. I I know there are um, FOIA papers that you can get that show that the Gulf of Tonkin was actually planned 
earlier. Oh, man. That makes me sick to think about, too. Okay, because you're touching on a really important thing. That's the whole escalation of Vietnam and this this whole thing, right? So Kennedy says, no, we don't need to escalate. If anything, we need to scale things back, right? And he makes it very adamant. He says, okay, we're not doing anything more than advisors, and even those advisors, we're going to start pulling them back. He's like, I want a 1,000 troops out of there a month, right? And this is prior to, obviously, prior to his assassination, but not long before his assassination. And so he wants people to not only withdraw from Vietnam, but he's basically advocating uh, for the plans that are already in motion, basically to let Vietnam sort out their own stuff, right? Kind of like, yeah, kind of like what happened in Afghanistan. We're like, we've been here for a while, nothing's happening. We're just gonna let them sort this out on their own because us being here, really, you know, I guess we, I don't want to go too much into that, but we backed out, and that's what kind of what he wanted to do for um, Vietnam. So, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin thing, I didn't know this, but. I did. I also didn't know that this could be from from the Freedom of Information Act. But I had heard, like you mentioned, that the Gulf of Tonkin Act was written. Sorry, the resolution was written before the incident happened. And that is the most important thing for uh, you know people of American history to understand is how we got involved involved and why we justified sending troops over the Gulf of Tonkin incident was basically this understanding that there were U.S. gunboats out in, you know, the the Gulf of Tonkin, just that right outside of Vietnam, and that those boats had been fired upon in an act of war, and that we fired back in, in retaliation. And because of that, now we, we need to fight. There was a misunderstanding yeah. in the Gulf. And, you know, e- even the people that were there, you know, and uh, this is the weird thing, too, is when you get into the uh, people that were on the ship in the Gulf of Tonkin, they don't really know exactly what fully happened. But the story was fabricated enough that people got behind it. And now before we know it, we have a war in Vietnam. Yes. And again, this is all escalating when LBJ is clearly established in office and he's allowing all of these things to continue forth. And McNamara, um, uh, a guy who was on Kennedy's side, I, you know what, dude? I heard people say not such nice things about McNamara when I was going through school, and this, uh, and I didn't really know why. And I, th- I think it's because they associate him with the LBJ days, and they associate him with the escalation of the war in Vietnam. And I owe it to myself, and I owe it to Robert McNamara to read his um, biography, because he has basically written kind of a a post-life, you know, I I forget exactly the title of the book, but he has a whole self-reflection of his time. And from my understanding, he did not want to escalate the war in Vietnam. He was 100% on Kennedy's side, very forward-thinking, very much a man of the state, Kennedy gets capped and all of a sudden McNamara tucks his tail and is now seems to be doing the bidding of Johnson. And it's yes. weird because no. when you look at him, he actually has a change of character. So it's almost like he knows, oh, my gosh, you know, Oswald was off. Kennedy was off. If I'm not careful and if I keep piping up, maybe they're going to off me, too. And so he starts to come up. He, he's the numbers guy. He says, okay, well, if we're going to beat the Vietnamese, we just got to increase troops and basically overwhelm them. And he just is obsessed with these stats, and he is just as guilty for escalating the war. And that's one thing I can't always forgive him for, for not standing up for himself. But who I can't say what forces he had against him. 
I will say anybody that wants to immediately be critical of Robert McNamara, watch the Errol Morris documentary Fog of War. Fog of War, it's on, I know you can get it on Prime, but it's it's Robert McNamara in his his old age. I mean, I think he's like 90 in the documentary. No, nah, maybe. And late 80s. I have no idea. But the guy is fucking bawling. And he is in tears and he's talking about how much he regrets what he's done and he's just you can tell that he's remorseful you look at any fucking interview with henry kissinger that guy doesn't shed a tear and just the destruction that that man facilitated is just on another level i I know and it's sad because uh he's one of those guys where i look at him being in a position of power and it almost makes me tear up of what he's done in the name of the united states i'm like you fucking tarnished our country and you and and, you know and like same thing with with in my mind lbj and so he's he's riding on kennedy's coattails right kennedy got elected into office kennedy had the highest approval rating kennedy is taking the country in a different direction this in my mind, the CIA kills him, right? Or somebody who's working associated with CIA, whatever, kills him. LBJ's in power. When people think about LBJ's domestic policy, they think Lyndon Baines Johnson. They think uh, about his, he's so progressive. He's so he's so awesome for doing all these things for races. And I'm not I'm not discounting the progress that the country made as a result of progressive politics and people protesting and you know the Martin Luther Kings of the world, uh, Martin Luther King Juniors. There, there's something to be said there. But to give LBJ any credit, because Kennedy was talking about the same kind of policy domestically before LBJ. He wanted equality yes. of the race. He didn't think people should be judged by the color of the skin. He had this progressive attitude. And so to give LBJ the tip of the hat there because he happened to be in office, dude, he's riding Kennedy's coattails. Well, because the – I mean, good example. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 had been drafted in the Kennedy presidency. It was drafted. It was fully ready to go in the Kennedy presidency. Didn't get signed over until 1964. I mean that's because of – fucking asshats like Strom Thurmond, but still, like, LBJ had to have known that these things were coming. And I don't know. It's sad because I I didn't know uh, that some of that stuff was drafted in Kennedy's presidency. And, you know, when you think of Kennedy, the average American, I don't think, thinks like, oh, man, he was so progressive on domestic racial fronts. Like, people know that he maybe advocated for peace and that he, you know, is is really big – to try to you know denuclearize to an extent or denuclearize tests around the world, but I don't know many people that associate him with progressive domestic politics. Yeah, well, I that's one of the things that's important about him because it, his domestic politics are just a direct reflection of the mindset that he had in approaching foreign affairs. Like he wanted to be peaceful. I mean, Nasser in Egypt with the Suez Canal, David Ben-Gurion in Israel with uh, the Six Days War. Like, he approached all of these things He just with seems, a mindset of peace. Yeah, yeah. he seems like the kind of guy that's like, hey, we're all just trying to find our way in the world and get along and be independent. And, um, you know, Woodrow Wilson's one of those guys who I like at times. And I'm like, at the same time, I'm like, man, he's kind of a fucker. He's a womanizer. Oh, he's a racist. Shit. Uh, he, oh but but at the same time, his fourteen points, these these ideas that I should say the I, the idealism 
that he had. I know he's still supportive of imperialism and he's still supportive of some of the old ways. He's a product of his time. But in some ways with you know, League of Nations and stuff like that, he was trying to be a little bit more forward thinking, um, but he was also a hypocrite. And he's the one who's, you know, starting the sedition acts and spying on people. And he's talking about spreading democracy while limiting democracy at home. So I can't appreciate any of that about him. But um, I can appreciate this idea that he was trying to bring the world together and, and sort of at least, if not in practice, espouse the ideas of basically freedom of determination. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think agree. Kennedy I think, did too. Yes, I think Kennedy did it in a way that was a little more straightforward and made more sense, which is good. Yeah, he's a regular um, dude. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, now I'm thinking about like the end of the Kennedy presidency. Big event that I think needs to be talked about before we cover more of stuff that relates to the assassination is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. That's a whole, you know, I that's something I didn't have an appreciation for until um, a, a fellow worker in the organization brought in a guest speaker who had lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, this was for an AP U.S. history class, and it was so interesting hearing them talk about the fact that those people literally friggin' thought that that was it, that nukes will be fired, that, you know, and I can't understand that because we've been living, and I know we've mentioned this before on the podcast, a long piece. We have not seen something on the scale of World War II, and if there ever was, we couldn't imagine it beyond our wildest dreams. And so these people had not only lived through World War II, they not only saw the destruction of these Western European cities that weren't even with nuclear bombs, they thought that the world was literally on the knife's edge. And Kennedy pulled us away from the fray. Yes, he did. And he, he did it with a phone call to Khrushchev, which is nuts. Hey, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, man. The hotline. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was, it was the red phone. And, I mean, that was the year-ish, year-ish after, uh, after the Bay of Pigs. And Dulles was okay. So Dulles was forced to resign 1961 in November, which was directly after the Bay of Pigs. And then, uh, yeah, Cuban Missile Crisis is a year later. Yes. Yes. And so after the Cuban Missile Crisis, he basically has this sort of nuclear detente with Russia where they they have an agreement where they say, you know what? We don't need to be pointing nukes at each other. We can scale things back. You know, Uh, it's not like they're saying one love, brother. But they're also saying, hey, that was too close. That was kind of gross. We we don't want to end civilization. Yeah, and, and, and Cuba's in on it, Turkey's in on it, Greece, uh, and Israel's in on it. Like, there's there's a, a multitude of countries mm-hmm. that agreed in this sense. Yeah, he's a real um, statesman. So I think that's really – yes, oh, absolutely, and I think that absolutely is worth mentioning. Um, so this, it, you know, the CIA definitely upset, and the people who are behind the development of nukes and the people that are behind – the people that are advocating for some sort of general conflict with Russia are the people that are upset, right? And so there's another yeah. thing to mention, and that goes back to the Bay of Pigs. 
just the fact that he wanted to chill relations with Cuba and that he wasn't anti-communist enough for these people in government that are so extremely right-wing and so fearful of domino theory and so fearful of communists that they are just dumbfounded that the president of the United States is just going to let a country fall to communism. But in his mind, he's saying they're not really a threat. You guys are making this up. There is no threat. Yeah, it's not going to undermine the political system of the United States whatsoever. But, I mean, that gets into the the Western ideology, too. Which is yeah, just... this whole idea of, uh, well, the first thing I want to tease out before you get over there is just this idea of um, this the Red Scare throughout all of the 20th century. I mean, 1919 oh, God, and after yeah. the fall of the Bolshe- – uh, sorry, the, 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 the success of the Bolshevik Revolution and then, you know, the fall of China – um, the fall of Laos, the, the fall of Vietnam. I mean, I, they were literally shitting their pants about communism. And it's hard for us in this modern day to understand just how upset people were, or I shouldn't say upset, how fearful they were of communism. But gosh, were they trying to stamp it out wherever they could. And oh, so God, yeah. the fact that the fact that Kennedy really didn't mind that much, I think is just that much fuel for the fire of, you know what, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to put somebody in power who is going to keep these communists in check because this guy clearly ain't up to it. Yes, yes. And exactly. The removal from power is when things really start to change. That's when everything just goes fucking haywire. And uh, which is why I think we also need to mention the after the Warren Commission releases the report. 1977, you get the, or 76, excuse me, you get the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Mm -hmm. So this is post LBJ, right? Right. And I don't know. uh, Yes. I think 1975. If I remember right. Yes. Well, he died in 73. Yeah. So that was, um, that would have been Carter, right? Oh. I thought Nixon. I don't know. I can't remember. We can look it up quick. Nixon. Yes, you're right. You're right. Because Nixon's Nixon, the guy Nixon who had Carter. the whole yeah. basically uh, the the all the peace Saigon stuff and had to basically have America's tail tucked between his legs, was blamed yes, for being yes. you know the loser of this war. But we didn't really lose. It's I don't know. I just I get really Dude. upset when people are like, "Oh, we lost," and I, it, love me or hate me, I don't. I'm just I can't say that we should have been there in the first place. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, God, that makes me want to open a can of worms on that. But we can't. We can't. Select Committee on Assassinations. So what did they find? Well, they disagreed with the Warren report. They said he was killed. JFK was killed as a result of a conspiracy. It's also worth mentioning that uh, this specific House Select Committee on Assassinations is called that because they also opened investigations into uh, the death of Dr. King, which... Jesus Christ, that deserves more attention. Uh, And then the death of um, Robert F. Kennedy when he was murdered by a Palestinian nationalist. Uh, Both of those things. Do they have to be connected? They have to be connected. They have to be. Have to be. That's that's (laughs) that's a whole other rabbit hole. You mentioned um, uh, not only RFK, Robert uh, uh, Kennedy, but when you when you get into MLK. And the, the 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 changes that he was advocating, it's the same kind of change that Kennedy was doing. It's the same thing yeah. where you have these folks who are trying to change the way America is fundamentally ran and structured. And honestly, it seems like these people are trying to do it in the best way possible and they don't have evil intentions. And 
evil fucking people are taking him out. Yes, dude, Dr. King, Fred Hampton, like just so many people. You could name drop a multitude of people that are just it's just fishy. They're neutralized. So Yes, yes, they are silenced for sure. And Ken originally was one of them as well. House Select Committee on Assassinations. Man, I, I just want to, I want to take that bait so bad. Jump into some of that stuff. But they find uh, that the Warren report was kind of wrong. They say that the committee says doesn't involve Cuba, doesn't involve the Soviet Union, organized crime, the FBI, anti-Castro groups, or the CIA. Um, so they say, well, who then? They say, maybe it's a member of an organized crime syndicate. Maybe it's an anti-Castro individual. Maybe it's an indiv individual who was somehow tied to an intelligence agency. So those are the three things they release. Their conclusions are that they say they reiterate the magic bullet theory, which is bananas. Arlen Specter would take that to his deathbed after working as a Pennsylvania senator. They uh, they say uh, four shots were fired, one from the grassy knoll. They say there is highly likely at least two gunmen that fired. Um, and then it didn't come out until 2015. I know this is way down the line. But Dulles's successor, John McCone, actually said John McCone was on the uh, – it was not on the Warren Commission. John McCone was the head of the CIA who was providing the Warren Commission with information. He said, admitted that he withheld, quote, incendiary information from the Warren Commission. And one more thing we should mention about the Warren Commission. It was uh, crafted by LBJ. Yes. And LBJ who had relationships with the head of the CIA, not in a weird way, but just in some sort of connected way, uh, had Alan Dulles appointed to the committee. So you have yes. a guy who is the head of the CIA appointed to the head of the, or basically as appointed as a head that is going to investigate the JFK murder. So he has every single interest in mind to cover up as much as he can about any of the CIA's involvement. And because he's part of this commission, he can kind of turn the head or lead it or make it see what he needs it to see. And he can make it publish what needs what, what he wants it to say. So he's kind of yes. can be in control of that narrative there. And so this House Select Committee that comes and kind of reinvestigates it, they do poke some holes in it, but essentially they kind of reaffirm the narrative to an extent. But from, from what I know is that they – said in their report that the information that they have is too damaging to release. And because of that, they sealed the documents until, like you said, 2020. Now those documents got pushed back to 2029. That is how worried that these people, whoever these people are, uh, are again, the people behind the government or whatever, they are worried that people are going to lose faith in government, period. Yes, And I can't yes. say that I haven't lost a pretty big chunk of faith looking into this stuff because Dude, there oh are so God. many friggin' secrets and this yeah. notion of the people can't handle the truth. We're doing this in their best interest. No. From my perspective, they are doing it for corporate interests. Those corporate yes. interests could be the medical industrial complex. 
the military industrial complex, um, the technological industrial complex. These are all things that have manifested since then, but it all goes back to this military industrial complex and people realizing how much money they could make and generate from getting these government contracts. And, and Kennedy was basically calling them out. And yes, that is why exactly. I think that he was killed internally by people in the United States. I, I can't say declaratively that it was the CIA, although they had every freaking motive to do it. But it could have been yes. somebody who maybe was in cahoots or somebody, some organization, I should say, that's maybe even off the books. Or yes. some organization that is connected with the CIA that's saying this is not good for business, this isn't good for the direction that we want to take the country in. Who cares what the president wants to do? So he's got to go. And he was liquidated. Yes, yes. I couldn't agree more. And I, again, it's just there's too many things that line up. I, it, the House Select Committee found some information regarding Jack Ruby. They had talked to another psychiatrist who had evaluated him. They had talked to uh, the deputy uh, a deputy sheriff at the Dallas uh, office. There were two things that, to me, just don't sit well. Jack Ruby told the Warren Commission that there was a conspiracy. Uh, Earl Warren told him straight to his face. He was like, no, there's not. You're wrong. Um, then one of the other things that was just fucking horrible right before his death he had actually said uh quote the world will never know what occurred the people who had so much to gain will never let the true facts be known to the world that is one of the last quotes that we have from jack ruby and it's it's said that this this deputy sheriff al maddox actually uh was talking to jack before he died of a heart attack out of nowhere a guy who was otherwise pretty healthy shook the hand of Jack Ruby, Al Maddox did, again, deputy sheriff. In that handshake, Ruby passed him a note. Again, this is stuff that's found in the, in the House Select Committee. Passes him a note that says, quote, it was a conspiracy. If you keep your eyes open and your mouth shut, you'll learn a lot. He also, that same year, told his psychiatrist that the assassination was an act of overthrowing the government and that he was framed. And I think all of that absolutely confirms every single thing you just said as far as corporate interests go. Right. And uh, this is just really rounds things off really well. So just to kind of bring things full circle, we had started this episode just saying, hey, we want to dig into the threads that surround the JFK assassination. We started with sort of the official narrative, which was the Warren Commission's report that Lee Harvey Oswald worked alone, that he uh, shot from the upstairs window of this uh, of this store, four or five stories up, that uh, JFK was shot in the back of the head and was put forward, and that one bullet basically went through you know many people, and. And that, you know, and then that he was doing it because he didn't like Kennedy. He was jealous. And we basically worked to poke holes in Lee Harvey Oswald was not working alone. There were there had to have been more than one gunman. Kennedy was clearly shot in the front and his head went backwards. His brains were blown out the back of his friggin skull. Mm hmm. The, there couldn't have been just one bullet to do all this. There's multiple witnesses. People ran over to the grassy knoll. And it all just none of it really makes sense what they originally found. And then as you dig deeper and as we've kind of discussed, the more you look at 
their interests or their motives for wanting to get rid of him, the more it just it adds up grossly perfectly. And then the narrative crumbles. And in names that I think are worth mentioning that need to be looked at closer. Yeah, please investigate, folks. David Morales, Bill Harvey, who is actually outlined as the chief architect of the uh, assassination, same guy who organized almost every single Castro assassination, tried to poison him with a milkshake. Exploding cigars. And uh, so David Morales, Bill Harvey, look at the testimonies of E. Howard Hunt. There's all these other, uh, um, all these other, uh, CIA agents who came forward. Another thing I think people should listen to is the Watergate tapes. There is a call between Nixon and Frank Sturgis in which Nixon keeps referring to the big event. He says, oh my God, E. Howard Hunt is going to blow the lid off the big event, um, which a lot of people say that's probably the JFK assassination. So I think people should check that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. That, and that also brings them closer to the future. And people are still talking about it to this day. Hopefully we learn more. Um, we're going to put links and, and descri- uh, things in the description of maybe some videos you guys can check out. Obviously, join the Discord. We have some articles we've already posted in the Brain Fuzz section concerning Lee Harvey Oswald and some of this stuff. That's actually kind of what we got talking about this uh, earlier. Maybe some books for you guys to check out. But I hope you guys, uh, you know, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. This is yes, thank you. This is it means a lot to us that you guys sat and kind of and, and asked these questions with us, investigated this with us. And my final words to you guys is is ask questions and keep on investigating. And I promise we'll bring you guys more content about the CIA and spycraft. But that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, dude. And I'll echo every single one of those things. I'm just saying, like, we're in an age where informational literacy is insanely important. That whole fucking chat GPT shit has me thinking about all of this mm-hmm. stuff. But now please. Google launched their rival. Yes, but just everybody, please don't be afraid to learn about something that makes you uncomfortable. Have your beliefs challenged. It's just, it's humbling. It might send you to a dark place. It definitely did for me Mm -hmm. with this whole thing, but you just, you got to check it out. That's what we call the brain fuzz, good old cognitive dissonance. And that's what conjecture and lecture, uh, that's what the core of everything really, when it all started, that's what it was all about, asking questions and, right. and digging in. So, Riley, thanks for the conversation tonight, dude. Listeners, thanks for uh, jamming with us. Join that Discord. Have fun in there. And, uh, Riley, any last any last words? I don't think so. I think that puts the lid on it. We'll close that book. All right. Peace. Peace. Take care now. Bye-bye then. <laughs>